Hi, welcome to Behind Every Employer, a podcast that explores the intersection of workforce development and education and searches for solutions to a more talented, skilled, and productive workforce of the future. Join us as we chat with employers, educators, and students who want to join that mission. This podcast is being sponsored by the Coalition on Adult Basic Education. Now to our hosts, Anson Green and Jeffrey Abramowitz. How's it going, Jeffrey? Good to see you. It's good to see you. How are you, Anson? Hey, it's been a crazy week this week, and it's been so much activity going on. I wanted to I wanted to tell you about some stuff I've been working on and get your feedback and hear what's up with you before we get to our guest. Uh, it seems like there's just been this this co this convalescence uh, or not convalescence. It's just kind of like the cyclone of activity related to digital literacy in my life in the last week or two. Um, and I'm, I'm so wonderfully positive about this because it is something so needed out there with our business community and um, something that our adult education and community partners have been so focused on. Um, but I think, it, I think what's really brought this to the attention is that the federal government is putting out a lot of money into uh, the Digital Equity Act, which is part of the infrastructure bill. And, you know, you put a lot of money out there um, on the street and that's going to get a lot of interest in people. So uh, I've been talking to business partners and community-based partners about these grants that are going to be coming to states over the next few years that are out there to build uh, broadband infrastructure. So the wires and you know all the hardware, but also work on the equity side of digital education and digital access. And that's really in our, uh, that's our bailiwick. That's where we play. And so I, I'm so excited about this. I think I'm going to be talking about this, you know, now for the next three or four years, because this has got a long runway of rollout. But um, it's great to see these grants that are coming out. States will be getting up to $125 million across the states for planning. And that's going to be starting pretty quick here. And then there's going to be competitive grants in the next years after that. So I'm just so excited about that kind of just excitement that the digital space is growing when it comes to equity in our communities. So, I mean, what's on your mind and how do you yeah, feel about so that? I, so I couldn't agree more. I think digital literacy is so important and we see so much happening in the federal level. So I'm excited because I actually had you on my radio and television show this week and we were celebrating career and technical education week and a month, actually, it's the entire month of, of really understanding how we can do a better job in the career and technical education space. And it is really important because, you know, part of our theme today is about upskilling and getting people those, those that skill sets gonna make them successful. And a lot of that is understanding the trades and what employers really need. So I'm really excited about our guest. I'm excited about what's going on in this, in this area. Today was actually this past few days is a national skills coalition conference that's going on virtually. Yep. Yep. So we've really been talking about this and digital literacy and, and skill development. So it leads uh, it leads into a perfect uh, ep first episode for us at Behind Every Employer. Really looking forward to it. I agree. And National Skills Coalition is really one of the leaders when it comes to publishing on the digital uh, literacy aspect of things. And uh, I, I want to get into our guest and tell you a little bit about her. So it's our first episode. And I couldn't really think of a better person to have online for me personally, um, but really for the episode, too, because she's just got such an expansive vision of, uh, of, of education and really that frontline uh, focus on education. Um, so let me tell you about our guest here. Her name is Jackie Brandt, and she's a leading healthcare educator in the United States. 
working largely for a large part of her career at University Health in San Antonio. So she's San Antonio, just like I am, and, and that brings it even closer to my heart. But for 30 years, Jackie's been involved in really comprehensively working on models at a very, very large South Texas hospital system, um, going from frontline orderlies all the way up to uh, the expert level practitioners in this hospital system. And I was really struck by Jackie early on, and I'm going to ask her uh, in a little bit how far back we actually go. But um, I was really struck because one thing about Jackie that uh, stands out in my mind is she's got uh, comes from you know the business sector, but she has a very strong focus when it comes to engagement with the community, engagement with public sector uh, partners, and a big engagement with adult education, which, which is where our paths have crossed. Um, she's also really involved now uh, with uh, ATD, the Association for Talent Development, and, and really bringing her work to a national uh, level. She recently uh, retired out of the university health system and has her own a business, which I want to hear more about from her. And she's really out there sharing her message. I was actually on a podcast with her uh, earlier this week and was just really, really uh, excited to kind of hear her perspective to that audience. But one thing about Jackie that uh, I think the audience uh, today and our listeners are going to enjoy is that she has deep roots in the world of adult education. And I think that's where this public sector, sector embrace comes from with her. Uh, she started way back and we'll, th we'll hear about her history here as a volunteer literacy tutor and administrator. And then when she was at University Health, where I met her, uh, she was doing workplace ESL classes for her staff and really um, taught me a lot of the ropes when it comes to uh, business engagement. Um, she does you know, come back to the digital literacy piece too uh, today. And I wanna talk to her about that because she was very, very uh, involved in the really massive rollout of a large digital system at University Health System. So I wanna talk to her about that. And she's actually published about that uh, in a new handbook, uh, the Talent Development and Training Handbook that uh, she's gonna uh, tell us a little bit more about today that recently came out. Uh, I got a copy of it. Uh, and the one thing I like about the handbook is that it's something that even though it's healthcare related, uh, you know, I'm in the manufacturing sector, um, man, there's lessons learned there all over the place for all of us. So um, we're going to hear about her chapter on upskilling and reskilling and uh, really hear how that public sector uh, nonprofit focus weaves in and out of that work. I'm Jackie Buran and I'm the president of Award Winning Results. I, am, uh, I have a company that works to empower people and organizations to be their very best and then to gain recognition for their great work. I've been very fortunate to have worked in both healthcare and adult education. Having been an adult educator, I always have the student in mind as the goal. How are we gonna reach that student? And we reach them through the teachers to a great extent. And these standards are another tool for the teachers to use. Wonderful thing about healthcare is there's so many openings. Some people think that it's just nurses and doctors, but there's a huge team of people that support that direct patient care, and many of those are entry-level positions. So many departments in healthcare that support patient care. It could be phlebotomy, it could be lab, it could be a nurse aide, a home health aide, physical therapy assistant, many people who contribute to the overall well-being of the patient, a person working on the phone, the coders who do the medical coding work mostly by phone now. So there's just a great uh, variety of options in healthcare. 
Healthcare is a very interesting field because it's an interesting combination of the people skills and the technical skills or scientific skills. It's really good if we can find someone who has great people skills and then usually we can take them and train them into the specific uh, area that they want to go in, whether it's laboratory or phlebotomy or something like that. But to have those great people skills, that's really number one thing in healthcare. I really don't think there's a job in healthcare today that's not desperately needed. They're all so important and healthcare has proliferated from large institutions like hospitals into much smaller, uh, more community extended. And we see much more going out to the patient in something like a home health aid. But then there's also the ability to work in so many different kinds of environments. You can be in a huge health center, you could be in as a lonely uh, home health aid, you could be uh, in a smaller public health facility, an ambulatory clinic. So many unexpected things can happen in healthcare. It's a person, it's a body, you know, anything can happen. So you can't just necessarily follow a protocol. You have to be able to think on your feet and to have those good problem solving skills. Healthcare is wide open for career paths. It is great. That's one of the things we've had the most success with is getting people on the ground floor. I mean, literally refugees who speak no English, getting them into ESL, getting them into GED, putting them through some programs, uh, and then seeing them progress all the way up to medical surgical technicians. There's tuition reimbursement, continuing education reimbursement, certification reimbursement. So someone can come in on the ground floor with just that willingness to want to learn and can be around other people and aspire to those higher positions. So with that, let's bring in our guest, uh, Jackie, and see where she comes from on some of these perspectives. Hey, Jackie, how are you? Hey, does my head feel still fit on the screen? <laughs> this, this intro has been, kind of made my head kind of big, so I just oh, want to make yeah. sure. Thank you've you had so a big, uh, you know, You've had a big impact on me, Jackie, and a big impact on uh, really, really hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. You know, your name is out there. Uh, not just in San Antonio, but uh, all over the place. So thanks for joining us today, Jackie. I really I just could, like like I said, I could not think of a better person uh, to chat with on our first podcast. You and I really go back. And my first question is, um, I was kind of putting things together for the podcast, and I was like, when did we first meet? And what was that <laughs> context? Because, you know, it, it's these relationships that uh, continue through multiple jobs, through multiple dynamic, you know, new things that we're mm -hmm. pursuing in our careers, but we come back and we find each other. Um, but where does that origin story lie with us? I can't even remember. So I can remember it vividly. I, I remember uh, some crazy things uh, like what you were wearing, maybe. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no, seriously, it's but, you know, other things are completely gone from I don't have a lot of disk space left, but uh, I remember some things. It's kind of random access. No, I remember the setting perfectly. We were in the sub level classroom right by the emergency center, level one trauma center, all kinds of chaos going right outside our door, hoi polloi of people everywhere. And we were holding class the best we could in our little sub-level class.
classroom, which frankly was never that great. But, you know, to be honest, learning and development doesn't always get the greatest rooms. We kind of take what we can get. Space is at a premium in a hospital. They're not going to give up, you know, classrooms if they can put something else in there that's revenue producing. So we were in the sublevel classroom. You were with Alamo Colleges uh, and we had a grant through you, we worked with you to bring in uh, ESL and uh, ESL classes. And we have a great partnership at universities, speaking of great partnerships, with Catholic Charities of San Antonio. And Catholic Charities uh, is uh, big here. And the refugee program, uh, full disclosure, I'm one of its main fans and I'm a mentor with the refugee youth program and have always, I used to be chair of their uh, gala and I've just always had a soft spot for them. So uh, we at university were the job placement arm for these folks who had just come over. It's been a one, it was a wonderful thing because we would see waves wherever there was turmoil uh, in the world. Uh, then we would get a wave uh, starting with Vietnam and uh, going all the way through to the present. I think there you know, were 16 different languages in the environmental services department the last time I heard. So with the influx of these folks, the first thing we wanted to do was to upskill them so that they could do a better job. And a lot of that upskilling, of course, had to do with communication, specifically with language, which has a lot to do with patient safety, which is paramount. So uh, that was the first place that we met. Wow, man, I'll tell you what, that's some serious memory there. And uh, I'm gonna have to pick your brain about what I was wearing that day. Okay. <laughs> very, very intriguing. But you know, you, re you really just jumped into where I wanna talk uh, a large part today. Um, we found this way to collaborate, you know, with me at Alamo Colleges first and me uh, working at the state of Texas. And so it's always been this public sector, you know, face for me until recently. Um, uh, but I want to get a little bit of history on how you kind of this origin story of where did Jackie come from that really uh, found yourself saying, you know, when we're going to engage with these communities, uh, we need to engage with our community based partners and our public partners, because, you know, a lot of businesses get very insular when it comes to things like workforce development and they kind of want to build everything inside. I always see you as somebody like saying, let's go out, let's go out, let's go out. Tell it, tell me a little bit about your history. How did you, maybe, maybe some of that gives us a clue about how, how you built that into your DNA there. Well, thanks for asking. Uh, yeah, I was um, just at the uh, Smithsonian portrait gallery and I uh, wanted to see the president's uh, portraits and I stopped by LBJ's and this is not a political statement, it's a personal statement. And I said a small thank you to him because uh, he, when he was president with uh, the War on Poverty, the Great Society and the Neighborhood Youth Corps, uh, I was able to get my first upskilling uh, because I got a summer job through that program and uh, no more hanging out at the pool, you know, chasing guys or whatever we did when we were, <laughs> were teens. I had to get up every morning. I had to dress appropriately. Uh, I had to learn about all of the ins and outs of, of working in a real work environment from eight to five, 40 hours a week. I was so fortunate. I was in an air conditioned office at City Hall in Denton, Texas. My job was entering the cemetery records, <laughs> which were on some, you know, ancient 
archive uh, parchment or something, but I, I got my typing up, uh, which actually helped me in college because we had so many papers to do. And uh, I had a, a wonderful, I learned about mentors. The woman who was our mentor typed 120 words a minute. She was amazing. Uh, I learned about uh, record keeping, so many, many things. So that was my first um, experience with upskilling. I went on, uh, you know, throughout my career. When I was in school, I was a work study student, working my way through. Then after I graduated with my degree from UT Austin in a TV film, I couldn't find a job back then. And so I uh, just had a regular office job. And then in the evening, I would volunteer at Becker Community School in South Austin near my house. And that was my first brush with adult learners in adult basic education, GED, ESL. We did it all, prepared them for citizenship. It was the most gratifying job I, I think I still have ever had. Um, and then I, um, the, I had a volunteer position. It was just two nights a week. Then they upped it to four. Then the instructor quit. And so then I quit my day job and worked for Austin Community College. So that's my link to community college systems yeah. and knowing the great work that they did. I worked with them until uh, time to get my master's degree. And I had so much love, embrace is the perfect term uh, that you used, Anton, that I decided to get my master's in adult and continuing ed from UT Austin. So that's what I did. And then uh, my husband got his MBA. So we had to move to San Angelo four hours away. And I had to get on, a, I got on a Greyhound bus every morning at 530 uh, to get uh, to Austin to go to classes all week. I had this junk car that I kept here so that I could get around. And I slept on my friend's couch. And uh, and then every Wednesday night at midnight, I would roll in back into the Greyhound bus station uh, and uh, and then be there. So I did that for like nine months until I got my master's degree. And um and so that was a great experience, too. I, I felt like I worked for it yeah. uh, in, in a way. Uh, and then I decided uh, I learned about corporate. <laughs> there was this other really? kind of adult education yeah. in a corporate environment. Yeah. And that was, you know, like the 80s and corporate was big. <laughs> so I like to say, and Anson, you can probably identify, I went corporate. <laughs> yeah. yep. and, and so, but I had all of that knowledge with me mm -hmm. of the opportunities that are out there in the community. So I tried to bring that into, uh, into university. And to be honest, university isn't very corporate, <laughs> you know, because they're very they're the community hospital. Um, but I was on the other side. You know, I was the employer now wearing a different hat. It was interesting, but it was um, it was great because I could tell our CEO and the VP of HR and everyone I could say, hey, I know we don't have any money here. We're taxpayer supported. We're stewards of the budget of the community, everything we spend, they, they need to know about, rightfully so. So we don't have budget for this, but we can make it work. We can stretch it on a shoestring by working with this organizations that do have grants and things like that. 
So I've gone on a bit, but that's kind of in a nutshell. I love, I love that. It's a great journey. And I mean, uh, you've got the, that's your career pathway yourself, which you know, shows the roots there. And it's so rare, Anson. It's so yeah. rare. You wish that everyone had that the wear those glasses, right? If you yeah. could just wear those corporate glasses and both the private and public sector glasses, you have those. Um, you have the vision of what students go through those challenges uh, that they you know they travel through that journey to to get um, not only their ESL but to go and get that skill development and certifications and move forward in their career. And oftentimes, employers just don't see it. Uh, but when you're when you lived it and you walk both sides of it, that's pretty remarkable. Awesome. It is. It is. And you know, it helped. I mean, it gives you that perspective also of just what it takes to upskill, you know, when you go down you know, into the lower skilled workers in, in a workforce there. And I, that really proves out in a in an industry like healthcare where you really have a large allied health uh, workforce uh, and uh, so much support staff in, in the hospitals there. So I want to uh, I want to pivot and um, uh, talk about your new publication a little bit. Uh, so this this is a wonderful uh, uh, handbook, uh, and I was fortunate to get a copy of it. Um, and uh, a message I said at the beginning, and I want to say it again. You know, if you're listening and you're an employer and you think like, okay, I, I'm not in healthcare, so this has nothing to do with me. Uh, it's so untrue in that. There's so much transferable knowledge here for other sectors. It's the first thing that jumped out at me. I'm in manufacturing. Uh, I read it not just because Jackie's got stuff in there, but because these titles uh, intrigued me. The upskilling, we're going to talk about your upskilling and reskilling uh, component in there. But tell us a little about the publisher, ATD. I know you're very involved with them briefly. And then uh, let's talk about the handbook a little bit. And um, what gap you are trying to fill uh, in the literature on talent development in the healthcare world? Okay, so um, ATD, Association for Talent Development, uh, used to be known as ASTD, Association for um, American Society for Training and Development. I've yeah. forgotten their old name. We've done such a good job of rebranding. And they've been around for, I think, 80 years now. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're a, a huge organization. And I'm going to read you exactly what they say. Uh, our members and customers are professionals who help others achieve their full potential by improving their knowledge, skills, and abilities in the workplace. They go by many titles, talent development managers, trainers. That's probably what most people uh, do know us by instructional designers, performance consultants, uh, etc. There's 28,000 members right now from more than 120 countries that work in organizations of all sizes and all industry wow. sectors. So that's their sort of um, description. I would just say that I think their tagline says it best. They're making a world that works better. So it's all about uh, making the workplace better. And uh, it's a great organization. I have been involved with them for many, many years now and continue to be uh, more involved with them. They're great at evolving. And uh, I always say it, if there's a new idea, a new concept, what's on the horizon, I learned it there. I learned it from ATD. Well, that's fantastic. Well, I, I want to ask you about the reskilling upskilling chapter. And, and first, I'm going to tease something up to Jeff real quick. I actually, I mean, I, I love it when we can kind of uh, parse uh, the areas of training and education that we're talking about 
more distinctly because th there's a lot of nuance in the work we do. But Je Jeff, had you, had you ever heard or made this distinction between reskilling and upskilling, or, or is it just me that that's new to? No, it's really new to me. And I, I became a little bit aware of it from discussions that have happened over the last year. But um, it's really a, a, a nuance yeah. um, when you think about it. I mean, we always talk about upskilling and, yes. you know, and taking people. But reskilling is something that is becoming more and more important, especially in light of um, COVID and what's happened in our labor market today. That reskilling piece of actually taking um, people that have been in the workforce, maybe for decades that are now pivoting and reskilling them, um, not even upskilling, just reskilling them, retooling them yeah. into professions where they're high priority industry sectors. So I'm really interested in hearing Jackie's slam on this yeah. and um, and how she addressed it in her book. Absolutely. So, so uh, you know, it's a handbook. So it, Jackie gave us some really nice definitions. That's what I love about the handbook. It's a practitioner book. But Jackie, uh, for our listeners, tell us uh, the distinctions there in reskilling and upskilling, because I, I really uh, put some post-it notes around these pages uh, so I could uh, really get this into my mind. So tell us uh, about this. And a lot of people use it sort of synonymously. Yes. And, and so don't get too hung up on reskilling, upskilling. I'm glad to provide the definition, but you won't necessarily see it always used mm, exactly no. correctly. Um, so reskilling, the way you can remember this, the mnemonic is that it's new, renew. So you're going to get, you're going to get a whole new job. Uh, it's not your old job. It's a whole new job. So let, this happens quite a bit more and more in this volatile, uncertain, chaotic, complex, uh, ambiguous VUCA environment that we live in right now, a whole uh, occupational code can just be wiped out very quickly. And so in, uh, I know that, um, for example, CNAs or uh, certified nursing assistants that we worked on, uh, Anson, quite a bit with you, yep. that, that job category doesn't even exist at university. That's a nursing home uh, kind of uh, job for the most part. So sometimes uh, we would use that uh, to help them to help an environmental service worker get some clinical skills so that they could get go over that skills gap into a new job uh, at, at the hospital. So reskilling means it's a whole new job. They did away with medical assistance, so now you're going to have to become uh, a coding specialist or something like that. So that's reskilling, renew is how yep. to remember that. I like one. it. I like that. And then upskilling, you're still in your job, and it's beyond the normal training and development that you get annually or however. It's it's way beyond that. It's a whole new uh, skill set such as digital literacy um, that would uh, even something a, a typical soft skill such as emotional intelligence or diversity equity inclusion we were talking about earlier uh, any of these can be examples of upskilling in a current job excellent great response and i mean i think for our listeners you know there are industries for sure and healthcare is a great example you know i'm in manufacturing we see uh you know quite a bit of uh, evolution in some of these jobs. And, and I, I like that you even brought it down to like whole occupational codes kind of, you know, becoming redefined or, or sunsetted. 
that is something for training and HR managers. You know, they've got to really keep a pulse on because mm -hmm. uh, you've got to stay current with the times in terms of where the industries are. I'm glad you brought up the CNA because, I mean, I think it was working with you when I was back at Alamo College's district that um, I really started to notice, you know, we trained a lot of CNAs, but I noticed depending on the customer that we were training for, whether it was long-term care or university or another hospital, um, they were really viewing that position differently and they were looking for different aspects of those skills. And that really helped me start to parse out like how one job, CNA, you think of that as kind of a standardized thing, very different when you get to different uh, work contexts. So um, really appreciate that clarification there. And, and, and I'm going to really work that into my vocabulary. And I like your, your mnemonic device there really is going to help me because that's where I get stuck, honestly. Um, so I was struck, you know, as I, as I was reading the, the case studies, I was really struck by, um, uh, as we opened up with the public-private partnerships. And in your chapter, you talk about your really compelling examples working with the local workforce development board, Workforce Solutions Alamo, who I believe you used to sit on, right? Um, yes, I was on the board until I retired. You were on the board, I think, right after I left there, actually. Um, and then uh, a very powerful uh, kind of a San Antonio institution, Project Quest, a big nonprofit in San Antonio. And then um, something near and dear to my heart, which we opened up with, which is the Bibliotech, which is San Antonio's first all digital public library, really the first digital library in the United States. Yes. Um, so these partnerships really um, helped you identify funding opportunities. But tell us a little bit more about like, you know, you've got I mean, to build those partnerships, that takes time. Uh, yes. And that's what I hear businesses say, like, wow, you know, that's a, that coalition building uh, doesn't come cheap when it comes to time of day. Like, I got to go out there and need and do all this. Why don't we just do it all internally? So tell me your thought process, maybe when you're advocating with your bosses, like, hey, I'm going to go, you know, beat the streets and talk to a bunch of community based organizations and adult educators about working with us at university. Like, how do you make that case? Um, tell us a little bit more about how that evolved in this context with your uh, uh, San Antonio partnerships? Well, for one thing, I was very fortunate in that we are, uh, you know, part of the community. And so it wasn't a hard sell. I'll be perfectly honest. Yep. Our CEO is uh, well known in the community. In fact, uh, when working with Project Quest, it was funny because uh, it's run by, I think, Sister, I can't remember her first name, Sister Veronica or something. She's the, she's a uh, a nun, and uh, she um, met our CEO at some luncheon for the city, and she uh, was talking to him about the partnership that we had, and she said, I want to meet Jackie, <laughs> which is funny because I had never actually met with her personally, but believe me, that upped my stock a bit with this, with the program stock with the CEO, so, so we were in, we're in the, we're in the community, that, that helped, wasn't a hard sell, um, the other thing is that, it's just a win-win. It's a no-brainer. It's it makes every sense in the world because it it does stretch your budget. We saved uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars in our tuition reimbursement fund because people got their uh, college uh, educations free. So they didn't get they didn't have to draw upon our fund. So that was something that I was always uh, tracking and putting in a dashboard and pointing out in my reports on these uh, programs. And um, and so it just it just 
gives you those resources you don't have, especially in a public uh, hospital set, taxpayer supported. But I think anywhere now, it's not just that. No one has those resources anymore. And so why would anybody turn down free training. It, it makes no, no no sense to me, but you're right about the time and the commitment. Yep. And that's the one thing that, that you have to realize. One way or another, you're going to have to pay for this. But if you don't have budget to just shell out, then it's going to be time and commitment. A designated staff member, someone who has to uh, be, be the organization's um, voice with this group and and support them because they're going to need all sorts of things. You're going to need a very strong internal partnership at your organization with IT. You've got to be sure you've got the computer setups, the laptops. You're going to have to have a partnership with HR. They sometimes help you identify who are the candidates. Many of these grants have um, pretty rigid specifications about who can and can't you know, partake in it. So you've got IT, you've got HR, you've got corporate communications. You're going to have to do a, a publicity blitz to let everybody know about this is coming up, you know, when and where. You've got to have your strong um, relationships with the managers who are going to get help get the word to these people. I mean, it is a commitment. And even if you're getting free training, you're still in a way paying. You've got skin in the game because you've got to be, be that partner. It's really in a, it's the, it's the ultimate partnership. And to me, the ultimate win-win everybody wins, you know, that saying about um, a rising tide lifts all boats. And I think, you know, that's true in terms of the economic imperative. Is there anybody who doesn't want their community to be a stronger, more prosperous community? This is the way, this is the way to do it, you know, uh, ending intergenerational poverty. That's Alamo College's promise now. Right. And that that's this that's the key, I think, to to getting where we want to be. So it, it's definitely economic. Uh, but the one thing I would say about the rising tide lifts all boats that I heard somebody say one time was, yeah, that's great if you've got a boat. You know? <laughs> and so so I think that part of what we do is we're giving them a boat or maybe we're giving them a oars or propeller, whatever, but you know, we're we're helping them. So it kind of it's it's a good for everybody. Yeah, Jeff, I will bring you into this. I, yeah, I can tell you. I, I, so it's a place that I live because I believe that it takes a village. Like we can't do this alone. And we're finally beginning to understand that, you know, employers and, you know, uh, public resources like uh, educators and skill training uh, par- you know, programs and ESL programs, you know, we all have to work together. And what's happening right now in our um, in our labor market is that we have all these jobs that are coming down. Anson mentioned earlier about, you know, the the money that's going to come down from the federal government for infrastructure. We know it's coming. Right. But if we don't prepare our workforce for those jobs, the people that really need them the most that really are going to that can be pulled out of poverty from them are the ones that may not get them because they don't have the skill development and talent in order and that education to right. get there. And that's why the work that you do is so important, Jackie. And, and the fact that you you love that collaboration and it's so central to the work you do it, is really incredible. And it should be something that should be a model for every corporation across the country. Yeah, I, I, I'll just say a few words about that too. You know, you, 
that's that's why I went to Tyson Foods. You know, they had the same kind of commitment of integrating with the local community public systems. And there's so much durability in those models. Uh, they take work on the front end. You know, I have a team that does the, you know, the heavy lifting on the partnership and coalition building. But when we leave, that relationship is there locally, you know, with the school, the college, the, you know, the community-based organizations. So, you know, but, but it, it, it's so funny. You have like the tale of two cities here because you, ha you have the businesses that think that way, which I think are in a minority. And then you have on the, you know, I, I work with so many businesses. You have on the other end of the spectrum, businesses that don't know those systems exist um, or they know very little about them. They may know the community college, but they don't know who to talk to or how to get in. But they don't know about adult education. They don't know they can find English as a second language classes at no cost that can be brought into their establishments and things like that. So I think there's, you know, with behind every employer, you know, that's one of the things we really want to do is really build this awareness that there's a whole system that's eager to work with businesses in your backyard. And that's something, you know, you you have from your DNA, you know, working in adult education back um, in Austin in the in, back in your graduate days. Um, you brought that with you, but we need to really bring that message to our businesses. I want to talk a little bit here about the digital literacy part of that story and the electronic health records migration. I found that fascinating. A massive hospital system. Um, um, I always think of university as, you know, the hospital that has you know, all the helicopters. You, know, you can measure the size of a, of a hospital system by their numbers of helicopters. But really, I can't imagine like... Uh, uh, somebody coming up and saying like we're going to migrate to you know the system here for electronic health records go train jackie go go take this on tell us how you did that and how you brought in the bibliotech and the community-based components to this so exciting well we had a lot of help of course yeah. from from epic uh the electronic uh, health uh, record people they had a training group on site for years uh it was they had certain people you know assigned to us and uh, and they're well known. They're in almost every uh, health system. So, uh, but it was it was a strategic plan. Uh, if you can imagine flipping the switch over to the new system, <laughs> and what what that felt like. Um, yeah. But it was a multi-year plan, uh, actually kind of similar to what we did when we built the trauma tower, uh, and we had to literally flip the switch from going from the old hospital over to the new. Uh, so we had, we had a lot of um, experience in large uh, change uh, events like yeah. this and, and yeah. what it took, although they were somewhat different. There were similarities because the equipment, you know, when we moved and we had to come into all new equipment, so everyone had to be trained on the floor plan of the new building and the the equipment in the new building. And the same thing was true of, of uh, Epic. So literally the, the electronic health record is the heart of any uh, organ healthcare organization. Sure. Everything ties into that and everyone ties into that. And there's all sorts of apps and a million different um software packages on there and things that, you know, the pharmacy and the, everything that ties into there. So we had to do this uh, massive 
training plan along with Epic of who needed to know what when. And, uh, and, and they led us, I'll be perfectly honest, they were the experts having done this before. So, so they led us. We also sent a large group of people uh, up to Wisconsin, which um, Madison or somewhere near Madison is their headquarters. So that was, we sent a bunch of people up there to come back and be trained the trainers. That was a, a big part of it. Um, but as we went through it, we, we discovered a lot of digital illiteracy in our staff that otherwise we probably wouldn't have known. But because it was suddenly a requirement for 10,000 plus employees to be uh, be upskilled in this, it became very apparent very fast. So we really had to zero in on those folks who didn't know. And it was two extreme groups, the physicians uh, who were just kind of too busy to yeah. to know this kind of thing, certainly too busy to leave and go to class. And then the, the entry level folks, the uh, environmental service workers who had not had to use any kind of literacy before. All of this uh, also played forward with COVID uh, because through a, a crazy, uh, <laughs> the usual craziness of the world, we had just, were just in the middle of the epic um, transition when COVID hit. So all of the plans that we, I taught many live classes right up until uh, the 1st of March that year in 2020. And I was mainly working, uh, coaching, teaching our managers and people how to be coaches so that they could coach their employees. And then bam, COVID hit and all of the training plans that we had to do live training on the equipment, in the IT center, in the lab, which you got to have, all went away. Wow. So we had to flip to take COVID, everything that that entailed, which was, you can imagine, massive. And then at the same time, we couldn't stop the transition mm -hmm. to Epic. So all of that training had to go on, and uh, but it had to go on virtually. And, you know, it virtual, we're doing it right now. Yeah. And I understand that, you know, it can work, but there are certain things that it's not ideal for. And this happened to be one of them. So nonetheless, we did it. But the vast majority of the uh, training completions, I think around 225,000 different units uh, that were completed. Uh, but in doing that, the one thing I do want to just talk about is the... Um, the elbow at the elbow training. And this is something that happens a lot in healthcare, primarily with physicians, because you have to go up to them when you can get them and, and, and literally sit at their elbow to work with them one-on-one. -on -one. And we found that that same model worked really well with the environmental service workers who had language issues, who were struggling with digital literacy. And then we brought in our bibliotech, once again, the free library. Uh, bibliotech has uh, lynda.com and I think LinkedIn Learning and you have access to English. Uh, you have access to, you know, how to do um, Microsoft. Uh, everything is out. The world really is out there in uh, in bibliotech and free. And we had a, even though you can access it from anywhere, 
you know, most of these folks didn't have computers. So we had a setup in uh, at the hospital so that anyone could go there and, and use it too. So that turned out to be a, a great resource for us. Fantastic. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll put the uh, link to the, uh, the Bibliotech uh, uh, website there for, for our listeners. Fantastic. I've been to the Southside one, which I think was the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the online libraries, you know, it's just like uh, not a book in the place, uh, but uh, everything technology. Fantastic. So we want to kind of turn the corner here. And, and Jeff, did you want to chime in here on any of that? No, it's just amazing. And I think that you know, you see the challenges from your um, from your perch and where you sit. And I say, oh, my gosh, I'm working with a lot of people that are marginalized populations that have a hard time understanding what a mouse is. Yep. And, um, you know, that training component is so beyond them um, that you really need to sit down elbow to elbow with them and really work them through it. So you really at home with um, with some of that uh, with that piece of it in particular. So I so appreciate that. Um, there's definitely so much more that uh to this whole picture um but you, the scale that you do it on is remarkable especially in the healthcare sector and it's something that you know as um, we're trying to get i know that there's going to be a demand over the next few years for healthcare workers and i want to encourage people out there that they really should be looking at the healthcare sector it's so rewarding and there's um there are amazing employers out there like your your company that really are willing to dedicate time and effort to help people get those skills to be successful. So I really want to encourage all of our listeners, if you know people that are interested at all or have had that passion in their belly that want to get into healthcare, that now is really an amazing time to do it. Absolutely. You. you know, one thing I was going to say too, I, I, I found it almost a harrowing story to hear you talk about uh, doing this, you know, the pivot during the pandemic, you know, for, for, you know, the adult education and the colleges and the education sectors, that was a harrowing event, but you're a hospital also doing this as the front line of the pandemic and making that transition at the same time, uh, just seems uh, like the most daunting thing I could imagine. So kudos to you and the team, uh, well, for persevering. You. I mean, my gosh. Mostly kudos to our, I would say, to university's administration, because while other people were laying off and they talked about that in today's webinar, many, many hospitals, you know, were letting people go. They made a commitment at university that they would not do that. So they upskilled uh, or in some cases reskilled because nobody was going to the ambulatory clinics at that time. They were too yeah. scared. So bring all those people in. We need people to take temperatures, to do that screening and the front lobby. So we just shuffled everybody around and, uh, and no jobs were lost. Wow. Great. Fantastic. But that was upskilling and reskilling. Wow. What a testament. What a testament. Um, and then uh, yeah, you, you bring this to, you know, your new venture award winning you know, results. And I want to tell you, hear a little bit about that to close here, but I, I have one last question for you. And it has to do with some tips for our listeners. You know, we, we draw kind of an employer audience and an education, adult education audience. What are some tips you can share related to these collaborative, you know, alliances and these relationships? What does, what are some tips you can share to make these things uh, most effective, you know, if, for folks that are venturing out into this world of collaboration? 
Well, I'm not going to say anything revolutionary <laughs> or, you know, this is uh, no. this is this is old news, but it's true. It's all about the relationships. Yeah. It's all about the relationships and network. The second part of that compound word is work. And so if, if you want to reap the benefits, free training, uh, you know, a greater economy, uplifted, everyone uplifted, you have to work at it and you've got to maintain those relationships. And lots of that is, it's not going to show immediately. You're going to spend time uh, doing this and cultivating these relationships. But in the end, it's, it's, it's always going to pay off. So you're there when, when your uh, partner needs help, you're there and uh, vice versa. So my best advice to everyone is just think about the relationships. Who's in your network? Uh, what would make, don't get your circle so narrow that it's just you're insular to your field or um or your organization, you know, you've got to get out there. And I know, you know, it's been hard to get out there because there's nowhere to go, but you've got to uh, know your community, know, know your community colleges. I mean, look it up on Google right now. See, where is your local, uh, what is your local uh, community college doing? Look up your workforce board. Their meetings are open to the public. You can go to those. Look at faith-based organizations. I mentioned Catholic Charities. I mentioned Project Quest started out as a faith-based organization. Grants, look within your own organization. You've got a grants person. I'm Usually yep. most organizations do let them know that, you know, what you're looking for. Um, there's so many avenues to pursue, but you, and some of them are dead ends or some of them aren't a good match. And so you just have to persevere and just get out there, meet people, be curious, uh, have something to offer them. You know, as the employer, I felt like, uh, you know, we had, classrooms. They weren't the greatest. Uh, we had, uh, we could offer some snacks. We could offer parking, you know, wasn't always the greatest either, but you have to think about, you know, what are you as the employer going to offer to this partnership? And, um, I just get out there. It'll be my best advice. Get started. Feel that commitment. This is an imperative. You know, right now, uh, the great resignation we talked about so much and anti-ambition I read in the New York Times today is a new term. So it's it's a great time to uh, develop your organization from within. Nobody knows your culture better than the people who are already there. So they They get it. And they want to stay with you. They need that that lifting. And it, it just makes perfect sense. You don't have to go out and, you know, spend big money on recruiting, uh, you know, finding a new person, getting them up to speed. To me, it's it's just the most obvious thing in the whole wide world to build your own pipeline from within. And you've got somebody ready to step right in to the next. The other thing I would say about relationships is that once you get a program going, so important to uh, maintain those internal relationships that we talked about earlier, particularly with the executives. You want to invite them to your celebration. You want them to speak. You want them to visibly see, oh my God, look at all these people and their families, because they always brought their families uh, to our celebrations. And it, it's, it's just part of your job to sell it 
And to make that business case, have your stats ready. You've got to always say, this is how many people we had. This is how many graduated. These are how many people got promoted. These are how many people got awards and recognitions, retention. This person's been with us for 10 years. Uh, net promoter score. What do people say about us in the employee engagement? Uh, you know, when you enter best workplaces and they always have those questions about you know would you recommend this hospital and and I would see it I would see it all the time because when I was doing new employee onboarding um, I would see someone who came back who had left us and then they went somewhere else and then they came back and I would say wow you know what have you been up to and what are you doing and they would always tell me you know wherever I was they didn't have that investment in me mm. as a person yeah. maybe I made a little bit more money uh, but the total package of my rewards didn't include an investment, significant investment in my growth. So I used to see that all the time. Good stuff. Great stuff. The fantastic, the fantastic lessons there, uh, Jackie. I, I think back, you know, with my work, uh, I always tell my team, you know, even though, uh, you know, on the face, we, we seem like adult educators uh, at, at, at our business. Um that we're really alliance brokers. You know, we're really, we, we go in really building the partnership and making both pieces of it work well together. And that, that seems to be uh, your calling there and doing such a great job there. Thanks so much. This has been an illuminating discussion. Jeff, I think we can agree, man, we've learned a lot here. Uh, for sure, we're gonna bring you back, Jackie. There's a lot more to talk about with what you're doing. Doing that, we just Absolutely. dipped our toes into this discussion. So well, now, thank you so much. Yeah. I'm honored to be the first guest. There you go. And and, uh, and I did want to just very briefly plug the book to say yeah. because we just got we had a lot of to talk about. And there's so much more in the book, and so mm -hmm. and it is a handbook, so you can just read one chapter. You don't have to read the part that doesn't apply to you, but there's all kinds of great case studies. There's job aids, there's checklists, there's follow these steps. It's in the book. So if you want to know more, uh, you know, feel free to, uh, to check it out. Maybe it's even in Bibliotech. <laughs> you can get yeah. it. We definitely, and, and, we'll put it on the website as well. Okay. So we will. And again, it, you know, again, it's healthcare, but I want to stress again, you know, and you were saying this about like broadening your horizons. Uh, you know, businesses often kind of, work in their silo, you know, I'm in manufacturing, I'm in healthcare, I'm in IT. Um, there's a lot of to learn by going cross sector. And uh, I think that book is a great example of uh, what you can get out of it and lift out of it. Uh, there's a chapter I'm just dying to read by one of your guests that was on the, the webinar I watched uh, earlier uh, that uh, is really just uh, understanding the frontline workforce. And, and, and that's what this is all about. So thanks awesome. again, Jackie. Stuff. Jackie, thank you so much. And so we're going to be right back with okay. a lightning round. Okay. And you got you can't miss this. this is how we're going to wrap up every show. So we'll be right back behind every employer. All right. Well Anson, this is a lightning round. So this is something that you and I thought about that we really wanted to leave people thinking about something when they left the show. And and every week when we do this a podcast or every two weeks when we do it, we're going to be sharing something that's on our mind. And I, I want to lead off today because I'm really excited about what my share is. It happened yesterday and it was um, it happened in a convenience store in Philadelphia. 
and there were three young men that were standing at the counter and uh, they had their arms pretty loaded with food. And it was clear they all had book bags and they were headed to school and they were kind of looking and fumbling around for uh, how they were going to pay for it all. And I uh, stepped in and I, I asked him, I said, you guys, um, you guys going to school? And they said, yeah, we're on our way. And I, I like, I got you today. And um, I picked up their lunch bill and the act of picking up the lunch bill wasn't what was important to me. It was I last night was able to post and I posted because I wanted people across the country to start recognizing that when young people are, are in store and they're getting some nutrition nutrition for the day, um, it's going to help them get smarter and that we should be investing in them. And it was so small, but it was such a small little gesture, um, but it was something that was really important. And it was even more important when the message I wanted to send was to the convenience store, which is a national big chain. And I wanted them to step up and say, you know what? We're going to provide free student lunches one day a week, or we're going to give a student discount. And I think we all have to start investing in our young people to help take away some of those challenges that they have and help them get smarter. So when they enter that workforce, they're ready to go. I mean, they are our future. So I was really excited about it. It did go viral today. I was really excited about it. I had uh, thousands and thousands of people were looking at it and they were saying, yeah, you know, I need to do that. That's a pretty good idea. It only cost me a few bucks, buy some young person their lunch and you know, so my message today is next time you're in the convenience store, look at piece, the people around you. If one of them's a student, you know, think about it. Think about it. So there you go. Anson, you're up. Yeah. I mean, my lightning round uh, kind of is on uh, the, another dimension of these things. Um, and it kind of sunk in yesterday. And, and it ties back to what we heard from Jackie today about the alliances and stuff with, you know, your public partners. So uh, one of the things I do at Tyson Foods is work on bringing in money and bringing in grants um, to work with our community-based and adult education partners across the, the states that we uh, do, do our work in. I had this one instance about a month ago in Nebraska, and then yesterday uh, it came home to roost for me here in Texas, but it was a partnership I was putting together for a grant, and uh, it was with another business. So we were going to join together on this grant and uh, hopefully uh, bring some money into the college that would serve both of our businesses. Um, in Nebraska, you know, they, we were working together and, and the business said, you know, like, you know, I was kind of saying, well, you know, how do y'all want to do this? And they said, well, we just want to replicate what you're doing at Tyson because you've already got an established model. And, um, you know, we're new at this. We're eager to kind of get into this public sector work um, to do training in our hospital. And, you know, I thought, wow, that's, that's awesome. You know, I, I'm in manufacturing. This is a hospital system in Nebraska and they want to replicate some of our structures and models, how we recruit and things like that in our plants. Uh, and then yesterday, I'm on a whole different call, different partners, um, this all manufacturing, but different businesses working on a grant. And two of the businesses are like, well, we're really new at this workplace literacy stuff. So we just kind of want to learn what you guys are doing and model <laughs> off of it. I love it. And, and, and so it told me there's something about like uh, businesses are out there they're wanting to engage, uh, but they need a little bit of, you know, connection. How do you do it? Like, how does this work? We're, we're, we're ready to go on the venture. And it ties back to everything Jackie was saying about that connectivity and that alliance building in the public sector. Uh, and I'm so I'm so kind of just personally encouraged to see businesses leaping out like that. But I, I think it's also uh, groups like uh, behind every employer, you know, our podcast here, our initiative, 
uh, and these individuals that need to also kind of get on board to be that mentoring kind of guiding element to help businesses that are on the edge and wanting to get engaged. So my call to action is, is like we need to like really listen close to ways that we can build capacity with our business partners who really know very little about what we do sometimes in the public sector, but they want to get involved and we need to really encourage them and make that as easy as possible for them. That's awesome. Anson, it was, it's been a pleasure. Jackie was an amazing guest and Jackie, thank you for being on this show. Anson, it's always a pleasure. We're going to be back again. This is the very first episode. We're hoping to have a lot, lot more to come. This is Behind Every Employer. It is sponsored by the Coalition on Adult Basic Education and, um, Anton, it's been a pleasure and looking forward to the next episode. We'll All see right. you soon. Take it easy. Thank you. You've been listening to the Behind Every Employer podcast with Anson Green and Jeffrey Abramowitz. This podcast is sponsored by the Coalition and Adult Basic Education. Check us out on coaid.org, on the Coaid YouTube channel, on Spotify, Facebook, or Instagram.